0: Well, as I intimated in the prayer, this is an incredibly famous passage of the Bible, isn't it? It's one of the most precious to many Christians um, throughout time and throughout the world. Uh, We know that um, all Scripture is important, we need all of it, but there are some passages which resonate with us in a particular way, and this is one of them, isn't it? If um, someone were to ask you for a list of Bible passages to memorize, uh, this might well make your list By the way, let me encourage you to memorize this psalm if you've never memorized it before. It's possible to have lots of exposure to passages like this and never fully commit it to memory, but it's a really good thing to do, isn't it? I have to say, preparing this week, I found it so helpful to have this psalm going around my mind. It doesn't take very long to remember or to say out loud, whether it's saying it first thing in the morning. You know what it's like. You wake up and immediately you're worried about the day. That happens to us, doesn't it? What a balm, what a comfort to say this psalm as the first thing that your ears hear when you wake up or waking up in the middle of the night. Why not repeat Psalm 23 or make your ringtone Psalm 23 uh, so that you hear it all the time. It is a wonderful, wonderful psalm. And of course it's wonderful because it gets right to the heart of what it means to be a Christian, doesn't it? When a person first trusts in the Lord Jesus Christ... They're putting their life under new management. They're resigning from their old job, the job of leading their own life, running their own life. And and they're asking now, God, I want you to run my life. I, I, I want to live your way. I want to obey you. I want to follow you. I want to make you my king. It is a profound expression of trust. Lord, I trust you to do a much better job of leading my life than I have so far or would do in the future. And that trust is how the Christian life begins. Of course, that trust is how the Christian life continues. If you've been a Christian any length of time, you know that we need to renew that trust over and over again. Every morning, Lord, help me today to trust you. Teach me to submit to your loving leadership over my life. Help me, in other words, to say and to pray and to really believe at the deepest level that I exist the truth of Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want Uh, The psalmist uh, noticed David, it says there at the top of Psalm of David. He knew, didn't he all about being a shepherd? Before he was a famous king of Israel, David was a shepherd. He looked after sheep. He knew that sheep aren't very good at looking after themselves. They have a bad habit of running over cliff edges and falling prey to wolves and so on. And so the shepherd's job is to do for the sheep what they can't do for themselves, to provide for them. And the Lord, says David here, provides for me. I shall not want, I shall not lack anything I need. And that's quite a thing to say, isn't it? I wonder whether you believe that that's true. You can be honest with yourself. If you're a Christian, do you believe that the Lord provides everything you need? And now, not everything you want, of course, not everything we want is good for us, we know that, but everything we really need, he gives us. Do you believe, do we believe, uh, Psalm 34 verse 10, that those who serve the Lord lack no good thing? Or Ephesians chapter 1 verse 3, that God has blessed the Christian with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. He's not holding out on you, Christian. Some of those blessings are, are, are shadowed here in this psalm, but before we look through them, Just one more comment by way of introduction. Look again at verse 1. What does it say? The Lord is my shepherd. This is inescapably personal, this relationship that David has with the Lord. It's not private. It's, after all, published in a book and become one of the most famous poems in the world. But it's very personal. It's not just the shepherd. It's not even our shepherd here. It's my shepherd. And for that reason, because it's such a personal psalm, as we walk through the psalm together, we're going to pause at several places during our time, and we're going to pray. And we're going to say to God in the silence whatever it is that the psalm is stirring up in us. Now, It might be that you find that a bit strange. Maybe you find the personal language here, the concept of a, of a personal relationship with God a, a bit foreign. That's, that's okay. We're, I'm really pleased you're here to hear this. Just use those moments of silence as we go through to reflect on what you're hearing And what difference it would make for you to know that this was true about you as well when it came to the God who made you. So, let's look together at the the psalm. What does David's experience of knowing the Lord involve? Firstly, he leads me along righteous paths. He leads me along righteous paths. There we go. No? Sorry. Sorry at the back. Um, Verses 1 to 3. So there in verses 2 and 3, we find the sheep. Uh, both traveling with the shepherd and the sheep at rest. And notice in verse 2, this is the sheep's happy place, isn't it? The sheep is lying down in a green pasture full of soft and delicious grass. There's cool, still water nearby to quench the thirst under the hot Middle Eastern sun. This is a picture of nourishment and deep restoration, deep renewal. And the Lord, says David, does this for me. Over the course of the last whatever it was, you know, 18 months plus of going through Samuel, uh, we've looked at David's life, and it hasn't sounded peaceful, has it? Whether it was uh, fighting Philistines or fleeing Saul who wanted to kill him or managing the, the, the turbulence of his kingdom and all the business that that involves, David's life sounded absolutely exhausting. Not many of us would have swapped. And maybe you can relate to that. Maybe your life is tiring. You're running after the kids. You're ferrying kids from sports club to music lesson. Maybe you're trying to appease a demanding boss at work or trying to keep up with a chaotic social life. We we live in an incredibly busy part of the world, don't we? And then beneath the surface, there can be a deep inner tiredness, stress and anxiety and regret about the past and fear about the future and what's coming next. David's saying here that in the midst of the chaos of life, it's possible to know a deep soul nourishment, a deep soul rest from the Lord you don't have to leave your family or quit your job or head off to a monastery on the top of a mountain. You just need him. You need to know him, to draw near to him, to feed on him in his word, to pour out your heart to him in prayer, asking asking him to restore your inner person. And we see other glimpses of this, don't we, through the Bible. Do Do you remember... Uh, that short story with Mary and Martha in Luke chapter 10. Remember, Jesus comes to visit and Martha's madly dashing about trying to get everything perfect and in the right place. And there's Mary and she's sitting at Jesus' feet, sitting at the feet of the good shepherd. And she's just listening to him and having her soul restored. Or, Or take the apostle Paul, his life like David's was chaotic. And Paul says in 2 Corinthians 3, though our outer self is wasting away, Our inner self is being renewed day by day. That's David's experience here. So let me give you a moment to pause, to speak to God in the quiet. Just a minute or two. Bring your tiredness, your anxiety to him, whatever it is that's going on in your heart, and ask him to do this for you. A moment in prayer. Let's carry on. So what is this restoring work for then? Have a look in verse 3. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Now this idea of God's leading or his guiding has produced any number of Christian books. uh, Books on how to find God's plan for your life. You know, three easy steps to find your path or whatever it is. Notice what kinds of paths are in view here, though, in verse 3. They're paths of righteousness. Notice they're not paths of comfort or success. The, the Christian life is often uncomfortable, isn't it? And it can feel like failure. And when we talk about periods of our life when we really sensed God's leading, we're often talking about times when things in the end worked out well. But things don't always seem to work out well, do they? That doesn't mean that God wasn't leading us. The Bible doesn't tell us how to live a comfortable life or a successful life, in the eyes of the world around us at least. It tells us how to live a righteous life. God, in his word, leads us down the paths of righteousness. Now, those righteous paths sometimes lead through very tough patches. It might be leading us through an area of huge disappointment, huge pain. But there is a path I can walk, even when it's hard, That brings honor and glory to God and that's the path we want to walk well secondly he comforts me in the dark valley verse 4 even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death I will fear no evil the test of a person's uh, love for you is whether they stick with you when things get really tough and verse 4 here is describing the toughest experience we will face in our lives, probably, as we walk through the valley of the shadow of death. And it's a valley through which others can't really accompany us. They can walk with us right up to the edge of it, but through death itself, only one person can stay. And here he promises to do so. I will fear no evil, for you are with me. But David's describing here the encouraging and comforting and courage-giving presence of the Lord with his people through the worst kind of trial. And to know the truth of what David's writing here transforms a Christian's experience of death. It seems impossible, doesn't it, given how terrifying death is that anybody could face anything so traumatic with fearlessness and peace, But, but it is possible. And what makes it possible is the presence of the Lord. You are with me. And his presence here is more than just a kind of spiritual hug. think of those uh, sheep again. They're walking through a a dark ravine. Wild animals could be lurking behind any bush. But the shepherd is carrying two comforting tools. He's got a staff to keep the sheep on the path and a rod to beat away the predators. David knew all about that. He would have fought off wild animals like that himself in his younger days. And the Christian, as they face death, does so safe in the knowledge that the worst death can do to them has already been done to the Lord Jesus on the cross. As the good shepherd, the Lord Jesus has laid down his life for his sheep and triumphed over all of their enemies. Sin has been paid for. Satan's been defeated. Death is conquered. Even death is nothing to fear when the Lord is with you. And if that's true, even of death... It must surely be true of every other valley as well, whether it's the dark valley of uh, redundancy or marital breakdown or cancer diagnosis or depression or night terrors or whatever it is, I will fear no evil for you are with me. Let's pause again and in the silence, thank the Lord for his presence with us in the valley. Let's continue. Thirdly, he gives me victory over my enemies. This is verse 5. Verse 5 sticks out a little little bit in the psalm uh, for at least two reasons. First, because the imagery doesn't really fit the picture of a shepherd with his sheep and trying to force it in is awkward and unnatural. I think actually the image has changed from maybe a shepherd to a, a host. But the second reason this verse sticks out is because we find the language of enemies to be a little bit awkward. Who are my enemies? Am I allowed to have enemies? Is that okay? Well, the way into these verses is to remember who David was. Remember, he wasn't just an Israelite. He was a king. He was God's anointed king. So perhaps in verse 5 we're to imagine a royal uh, banqueting table here. All of David's enemies lined up on one side of this royal table, forced to watch as the Lord God prepares a feast for the king. He anoints his head as the Messiah. He overflows his cup. And what does that have to do with us? Well, David, remember, we saw this all the way through the book of Samuel, is a picture of the Lord Jesus. The Messiah, the true king, who triumphed over his enemies at the cross and then proved it in his resurrection and his ascension to heaven and this of course is where the christian comes in by faith in him we share in his victory christ's enemies become our enemies not first of all flesh and blood but satan satan and all of his defeated army we sit as it were at christ's victory feast with god at the host rejoicing in what christ has done Satan is a terrible enemy, isn't he? One, 1 Peter, the letter 1 Peter tells us that Satan prowls around like a lion, hunting for prey. He's looking for Christians to pick off, to discourage and divert from the path, whispering accusations into their ears. You're not good enough. You're not pure enough. If Jesus knew what you'd done, he'd be done with you, though of course Jesus does. If this church knew what you'd done, they'd be done with you too. He whispers lies into our ears. His great weapon is Fear. And these verses remind us that Christ has triumphed over Satan for us. If you're a Christian, do you ever remind Satan of that fact? Martin Luther liked to do that. Here are a couple of quotes from Martin Luther. A couple of things he said about Satan. The first one is longer. He said, when the devil throws our sins up to us and declares we deserve death and hell, we ought to speak like this. I admit that I deserve death and hell. What of it? Does this mean that I shall be sentenced to eternal damnation? By no means. For I know one who suffered and made a satisfaction on my behalf. His name is Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Where he is, there I shall be also. You see what he's saying? We share in Christ's triumph, and there's nothing Satan can do about it. Or well, here's one more from Luther. He writes, I often laugh at Satan, and there's nothing that makes him so angry as when I attack him to his face and tell him that through God, I am more than a match for him. And David knew that same kind of confidence, didn't he, in the psalm? He trusted the Lord for victory. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Let's pause once more and pray. And in the silence, thank God for the victory we have in the Lord Jesus Christ. Let's continue. Fourthly and finally, he pursues me forever. Now, I spent a couple of uh, fortnights some years ago in Nigeria, and there was a a photocopying shop there called Goodness and Mercy. And because I have a very bad sense of humor, I wanted to suggest to them that under their invoices, when they sent out their bills, they should include verse 6 as a warning. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life terrible joke follow though here is a bit of a weak term Uh, the word there uh, in verse 6 follow means to chase it means to hunt down to pursue now David knew very well what it was to be pursued remember by Absalom and then by uh, firstly by Saul then by Absalom David was a hunted man for long stretches of his life but what pursued him every day of his life was the goodness and the mercy of the Lord And how he needed it. When life was really tough. When he was running from cave to cave from Saul. The comfort to know that however fast Saul ran, God's mercy would run faster. And when he'd made the biggest mistake of his life and his hands were covered in Uriah's blood and his own son was trying to seize his throne. The hope to know that however deep his sin ran... God's mercy ran deeper. And what a comfort that is to the Christian too. If you're a Christian, do you know that God's goodness and mercy are following you? They're chasing you down. Maybe you think something else is pursuing you. Maybe you think it's bad luck. Everything seems to go wrong for you. or, Or maybe it is the mistakes of your past. They seem to dog you. They wake you up at night. They... Make your stomach churn. But if your faith is in the Lord Jesus, then bad luck, whatever that is, or past mistakes, whatever they were, they're not going to have the last word on your life. Because in the end, the goodness and the mercy of God will outrun them. And look well where they're going to pursue you. Have a look, verse 6. Where are they pursuing you to? Right into the everlasting house of the Lord. Verse 6, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Now, when David wrote the psalm here, the house of the Lord was the tabernacle, later the temple, but the Bible closes with the transformation of all of creation into a worldwide temple, a worldwide house in which God lives with joy with his people. And what makes that house special will be him. His goodness and his mercy pursue the believer to himself. That's where those righteous paths lead from verse 3. The path of following in the footsteps of the crucified and risen Savior lead right to the door of the house of the Lord and once we arrive, we'll never leave. We'll be with him forever. So as we close, let's very quickly apply this to the way we see our past, our future and our present. What does this mean about the way we think about our past? Well, look, our our past is a mixed bag for all of us. We've all made mistakes, as David had, Uh, things we regret, things of which we've had to repent. But this psalm means that all the way, our shepherd has been leading us. We've seen our future, a glimpse of our future there in verse 6. It's everlasting joy, life forever in the house of the Lord. So what does that mean for our present? What does it mean for today? It means we can trust him. We can trust the paths that he lays out for us in his word. The path that walks behind the good shepherd is the right path for you to walk. And we can walk that path confidently, even when it takes us through the valley of the shadow of death, which it almost certainly will, knowing that the Lord is not just the shepherd, but my shepherd, and I can trust in him. In a moment we're going to sing, but let's pause once more to pray in the silence and speak to God about what we've heard. If you're a Christian, why don't you thank him for being this loving shepherd, a shepherd of goodness and mercy. Ask for help to trust him tomorrow and every day in the future. And if you're not a Christian, is it time you spoke to him? You can say say to him whatever's on your heart, Why don't you do that now in the silence? Let's pray.